Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater, and we're very glad that you've joined us today. We believe that women are healthiest when they consider all aspects of themselves. So your friends, who encourages you? Do you still dream? What do you sing about? And a lot of things we're talking about are things that you may tell yourself, I'll get to that tomorrow. And you put it off. But why are you putting things off? And if not today, then when? Because live your richest life possible at the times that it's open to you. We want to help you thrive. We have a very interesting guest today, and we're going to be talking about women's health questions, GYN questions that you want to ask. Often there isn't time in your doctor's office. There is not... um, a good answer from either the, the male physicians or um, nurses that, that really satisfy some of the questions that many, many women have over 40. And so we are here today with Lorinda Fontaine Farris, and she is a nurse practitioner in GYN. And we do not consider any of this medical advice. This is simply a chat today about some of the most common questions that she has asked And we have such a long list of questions, we could turn this into four or five shows. But we're going to go with some of the top questions she gets asked about women's health after 40. And I think you'll relate to a lot of these. Lorinda, I'd love to welcome you to Wise Health for Women Radio. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I think um, you tapped into a lot of things already that I'm eager to talk about. I'm so delighted. We talked prior to the show a couple of days ago, and um, we are all, we as women, are all eager to know about many of the same things. So I, I think tapping into your experience with the gazillion people that you have treated, that we, we're getting some universal questions here. So we aren't given the time to ask these questions in our usual uh, rounds with our physicians. It's it's a really busy time in the healthcare system and it just doesn't get built in. And if you go on the internet, you can get some very sketchy information. Uh, it may or may not be true. You're not certain. And so we are really pleased to have your expertise here today. So can you give a little bit of background on you? And then we'll go into our first question. Absolutely, Linda. Thank you. I you know, this is always a difficult uh, question because I think, you know, one doesn't want to kind of do any bragging. At the same time, I want all the listeners to know that, you know, I do have some experience under my belt. I am a board certified OBGYN nurse practitioner, and I have been working in that field for almost 20 years. It's about uh, a year and a half shy of 20 years. Mm-hmm. And The majority of that time has been within the military environment. I have worked in the, what we call in the military, the civilian sector, a couple of of times. Um, 
I have never worked private practice, and I think that's an important piece because, you know, that that is a different world um, in terms of insurances and financial and and whatnot. But um, even within the military system, where I continue to work post retirement, because I, I was in the military myself, um, I was a an Air Force person for 29 years. Um, part of that active duty, part reserves. And um, so I continue to work now for the Army. And even though it's socialized medicine, and I love how we have more time with our patients than a lot of my colleagues in private practice do, mm-hmm. still then, that it's not enough, you know, to, to kind of put a woman's visit for whatever she's coming in for into this pretty little 20 to 30 minute time frame is challenging and because I I have always believed and I'm biased because I've always worked women's health care I but I do believe more so for women because we have multiple hormonal connections within our bodies more so than men Mm -hmm. that Everything is connected for us in a very profound way that is different for men. So it's never a visit, quote, just to get a refill on my birth control pills, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So um, I think you can never have enough time with patients is the bottom line. And mm-hmm. um, I love what I do. And um, I'm in the process of birthing um, a women's health consulting practice. And um, so that's kind of my current career in a nutshell. Love it. Because, again, you bring up the point, and everybody listening, I'm sure, has had it reinforced. There isn't enough time to ask the questions you do. Even if you're the most thoughtful patient, making the most of your time with your list of questions, you can still be going down your list of questions as the doctor's hitting the door. And oh, you, you mentioned that that talk and, and tell, tell our listeners about um, the, the particular story, not the name, um, of what happens when that last question is asked. Mm. You're talking the infamous question that we were discussing yesterday. Well, mostly, I guess I should tell it now that I've pretty much given it away. Um, you were saying that women can come in with their questions. and the physicians have their hand on the door and they're like, doctor, one more thing. And the doctors among themselves will groan because they, they just know it's going to be one of those questions that you said, there's not time to discuss because we are all connected and the hormones are connected to everything. And so it, I just laugh because I didn't know we made doctors groan, but that's kind of interesting. So let's go into one of the top questions that you received, and you, I have this wonderful list that you sent me in front of me, and it's an important one for women over 40. And that, uh, uh, let me say something before I get to that question. I think that um, as girls, uh, we're all taught about cycles and menstruation and some of the things that hormones do. But I think later in life, there's very little talk about the changes that people go through. It wasn't so long ago that people called 
menopause, the change. And so it, it was sort of unspeakable uh, in, in polite company. And I think there's so much need for information and accurate information. So let's start with the first one, which is, this is a quote from a patient or a typical patient. I don't know where my libido has gone. I used to have a good one. Where did it go? And more importantly, how do I get it back? Linda, the funny thing about that question is, if you were to ask me, what is the number one question (laughs) you get from patients across the lifespan? So Mm -hmm. we're talking, I've got, I've received that question from 18 year olds up to women in their 60s and 70s. Okay. So that's a really important point because I think there tends to be this assumption that um, it goes, quote, with the territory of menopause. And really, it's tied into that whole multiple hormonal pathway that makes us such complicated, interesting beings that Mm -hmm. we are as women. And so... I do think, though, that being said, that when we start to get in that perimenopausal time, Mm -hmm. the time where for some women she might start out with having some menstrual changes, for some women she might start to notice a a few hot flashes here and there, for some women they come in and say to me, okay, what's going on? I want to kill my husband on a daily basis. What's happening (laughs) to me? So, you know, those initial signs and symptoms of perimenopause are different for everyone. Um, And so I think that that's the time where women start to really notice those libido issues. Mm -hmm. That before they were able to navigate that sometimes rocky road, but when they start to get into perimenopause, they start to say, okay, this is kind of becoming a problem in my relationship and it's becoming a problem for me. And it's, go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. I just um, want to keep going with this discussion and I know we're coming up on a break, so we'll start before and continue after. Can you define perimenopausal symptoms? So people who may be listening that don't really know what they're feeling is part of something else, can you tell them what are some of the signs and symptoms of perimenopause that they may be experiencing? Oh, thank you for bringing this up because, you know, in medicine, we're a a big um, definition, crazy kind of world. Perimenopause is when we first start having those early hormonal changes. So yes, the most common symptom is changes in menstrual cycle. And that can that can have a lot of challenges because many women are on hormonal methods of birth control that can mask the, some of those symptoms. But menstrual cycle changes um, are one of the most common symptoms. Okay. Then, you know, women can start to notice maybe some cognitive changes, starting to notice some some memory issues here and there, like, geez, you know, I, I never used to lose my keys all the time, and now I seem to really be challenged with remembering where they where I put them down. Um, so brain fog is real. Oh, it's very real, Linda. It is very real. And um, some other changes, again, 
Some women describe it as anxiety. Some women describe it as an agitation, just feeling a little more temper oriented than they used to be. So kind of like, uh, if you will, if you remember all the symptoms of, you know, your premenstrual symptoms, the things you would feel before you had your menstrual cycle back when you were a teenager, that's how you start to feel in this perimenopausal time. I tell women, on those two ends of the spectrum, oftentimes in our teens and our 30s and 40s, very similar symptoms. So what the real challenge is, is when I get a teenage young girl with her perimenopausal room in the same room at the same time. Symptoms are very similar. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, because I, I know that that is... Um those are some of the symptoms that people talk about that and the hot flashes, um, unusual night sweats, things that are just not what you're normally used to. So is it really change that you're looking for? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm pushing us right up against a hard break and I, I didn't mean to ask you a question that way. We're going to take a, a short break and we will be back so Lorinda can fill us in on much more detailed information. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio. We're talking to Lorinda Fontaine Ferris, a nurse practitioner in GYN, and she's answering all our questions today. We're Thank you for listening. For we'll be back after this we'll break. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. In your quest to be more active, lose weight, and or eat a healthy diet, you need to chart your course. Having a plan is the way to go. The old adage, fail to plan and plan to fail, holds true. In order to reach your goal, you need to have a specific strategy. Don't just say, I will exercise more. Instead say, I will walk for at least 30 minutes, seven days a week, and then do it. Don't say, I will eat more fruit and vegetables. Instead, set the goal of having at least one to two vegetables or fruit at each meal. Write your goals down and post your outline where you can see it. Every day, review it and make a plan of how you will incorporate those strategies that day. Chart your course and you will reach your destination. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. Welcome back to White Health for Women Radio, and we're continuing our discussion with Lorinda Fontaine Ferris about GYN questions. And this one is about further defining the symptoms of perimenopause so that everybody understands that maybe some of the things going on in your life are, are, are actually symptoms that you aren't recognizing yet. And, and knowledge helps when you know about something and see how it fits in. You can start to take steps to understand, to learn more, and to ask the right questions. So we had just talked about, uh, you mentioned cognitive difficulties, and I asked you, is brain fog real? And you said it absolutely is. And then you mentioned anxiety and agitation. Uh, Anything else that you would like to mention? Yes, actually, you had brought up, um, you know, hot flashes, and um, oftentimes, you know, some some women will describe the hot flashes as being so low grade that they're really not even aware that they're having a hot flash. And other women will come in, you know, 
fanning their face, they know it's a hot flash. <laughs> Oftentimes, hot flashes tend to come at nighttime, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the beginning. Um, and so when that happens, of course, women are getting less sleep. Mm-hmm. We are already a very sleep-deprived culture. So mm-hmm. the, the, the symptom women often come in with is a lot of fatigue. And so if they're having a lot of fatigue, then we start to think, okay, we need to work her up for, does she have some thyroid stuff going on? You know, is there some sleep apnea happening for this woman? There's a lot of details that need to be covered when a woman is, say, even 38 years old and starting to have some of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. And I I think one thing that is a surprise to some people who have never had PMS symptoms and regular cycles. And you'd mentioned earlier, I want to kill my husband every day, um, that volatility in mood and um, angst and, and all kinds of things. That's often a first sign that things are happening for some women. And it, it nothing else may have changed at that point. And what happens when you're on a birth control method that may mask. How do you tease out when someone is saying, you know, I feel this, this, and this? When, because I work, again, in, in a socialized medical environment, I have a greater liberal use of the ability to do laboratory testing and not have to worry about payment. But that's okay. really something that does need to happen is, Check to make sure that thyroid gland is doing okay because that's another very common thing for, even though I don't like the word middle age, but, you know, that 30 and 40 something time frame where it's not uncommon for women to start to have a a tired thyroid that needs some assistance. You also want to make sure that this woman is not anemic. You know, sometimes, you know, if she's somebody who traditionally her whole life has had very heavy menstrual cycles, you know, her her body may be getting tired of handling that and she's starting to have some, um, a little bit of anemia and she needs some iron support. Um, And then, yes, back to the question about various birth control methods, of course, depending on the birth control method, There are methods that won't mask the symptoms of menopause, um, but those are few and far between. Most of your methods, your birth control pills, your NuvaRing, your patch, um, all of those methods have the estrogen support, so women aren't necessarily going to come in uh, having hot flashes. Um, So this is a whole other very interesting topic is because we're in this, you know, women still need, if they're not wanting to have children at that stage of the game, they need the birth control. And yet, you know, we're trying to tease out, is she starting this perimenopausal process or not? And laboratory testing can help facilitate that package of information for her. I think that's so fascinating. And I want to bring up that. Oftentimes, doctors are traditionally trained, and you get your laboratory tests, and they will come back, and they adjust hormone levels, thyroid levels even, um, for age. And that may not be making you feel your optimal. I don't want to move into hormonal stuff. That's our second question. But, but that's important to know. 
um, you can do some research on, on that. Hopefully, we'll get to that question today. Let's go back to, I don't know where my libido is gone now that we've defined what perimenopause is for people so that they know the signs and symptoms. And that leads us back into the hormones, again, playing such a huge role. Yes, and the other piece of this, though, that I do go into with patients, because it kind of reminds me, like, um, for right now in my life, I have a sick kitty cat. And, you know, the veterinarian does the same thing that we do in medicine, where we start with the simple stuff. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, by the time I see a woman coming in complaining of libido issues, it's probably been a while that she's been ignoring herself in her life because most women are great at taking care of their children, their husbands, even if, you know, if she's not married, doesn't have children, chances are she gives 150% of her life at her work. Mm -hmm. So she's usually not in the pattern of coming in to see me saying, yes, I take fabulous care of myself. I am my number one priority in life. And so <laughs> said you know, no woman ever. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so we have that conversation like how are you feeling about yourself? When you look in the mirror, do you feel good? Are you still exercising, you know, a good 5 days a week? And if the answers to that is not a resounding yes I am, you know, I, those are important pieces. You know, how well are you eating? I mean, most of us now know what we're supposed to be doing. But the question is, have we patterned our lives so that we're actually really doing it? So those are some first layer issues. Now, if I get a woman who comes in and, you know, she's, let's say, 55 years old, she's five or six years post-menopausal, meaning her menstrual cycle stopped five or six years ago, and she's complaining about it hurts when we start to have intercourse. That's a different story than someone saying, oh, it's, you know, it's my libido. I don't want any intercourse. This woman is telling me I don't want intercourse because it hurts at the very beginning and I, I can't, I can't do it. And so, that is very um, common in women who have are postmenopausal for a few years. That vaginal tissue gets very thin and very sensitive. It tends to be drier skin, just like the skin on the on our outside. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that topic is. Most of us wouldn't dream at this stage of the game, over 40, we wouldn't dream of going to bed without putting moisturizer on our face. But <laughs> we go to bed our entire lives without putting any moisture around that vaginal area. And usually an easy fix is just starting that woman out on some coconut oil or a vitamin E capsule in her vaginal area every night just to help kind of put some moisture back to that tissue. That same um, tender vaginal tissue can also start to cause some urinary symptoms. So I ask a battery of questions around, you know, has she started to notice any urinary symptoms? You know, women are so used to ignoring their bodies. Um, you know, like how often do women hold their urine because, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And, and then I'll go to the bathroom, you know. 
So women have to be, I need to ask her these questions and sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I have noticed I've been going to the bathroom more frequently and I don't feel like I can fully empty my bladder or whatever the case may be. But um, so when we talk about that libido issue, it you really have to spend some time asking some detailed questions is where does that issue lie? Because yes, for an 18 year old, it's probably a whole lot different than it is for a 45 year old. You know, you bring up interesting points because I think oftentimes, while we all know that everything is connected in our bodies, the the symptoms and the things that happen to us are not as well known. Uh, there used to be a book called Our Bodies Ourselves in the 70s and 80s and told you everything about being a young woman. There's not a similar, or there may be, but it's certainly not as widespread as that was uh, for older women. And I think there's a lot of um, n- no knowledge or ill knowledge, knowledge gained from Dr. Google. And those are the things that, you know, take us sideways sometimes. So let's go to the libido after you've asked those first and second layer questions. Then where do you go? Then I need to take a look at, you know, what has her hormonal history been like? If I get a woman who's been on birth control pills all these years, mm-hmm. we know that birth control pills, anything with that ex- es- extra estrogen in particular, mm-hmm. is going to squash, oftentimes squash that libido. And okay. so we could have a conversation about maybe it's time to look at, look at using a different type of birth control to see if that helps the issue because sometimes it can be such an easy fix. Okay, let's get off this birth control pill and switch to an IUD, let's say, you know, if she's a good candidate for that. Um, And sometimes that's an easy fix. Then there's also, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, are there relationship issues? You know, I mean, is, is she still attracted to him? Is he still attracted to her? You know, there's a whole host of those sorts of issues that oftentimes I think women take immediately want to take the blame. Like, because I have the libido issue, it's my fault. <laughs> and um, that is, you know, all of that really needs to be teased out. I'm not suggesting that it's, you know, sometimes it is an easy hormone fix, either changing them up, getting off the hormones. I've had women, you know, choose to use condoms with their partner for a while just to see how much the hormones are affecting her libido. Um, sometimes it's a 10 pound weight loss and the woman feels so much better and things change. Or sometimes it's she makes a commitment to, you know, I'm going to start making sure I get at least seven hours of sleep a night, you know, versus the four or five that I'm getting right now. And so there's it. I always tell women, you know, when they bring up the libido issue, I always congratulate them because I tell them, you know, first of all, I know it took a tremendous amount of courage for you to um, to bring this question forward. But I tell them we're going to continue to have this question because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, you know, I love how you just interconnect all of that because um, 
I've rarely had a physician, you know, tease out things like that with a, a really nice history. And, and that is very, very helpful. This is excellent information. And we are going to our next break, and we will continue this discussion afterward. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio. We're with Lorinda Fontaine-Ferris, and we'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's words you never heard. Each year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters, with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to Wise Health for Women Radio. Before the break, Lorinda, we were talking about the, the way you tease out some of these issues. And you brought up relationship issues and the fact that women take, quote, the blame so much. And thank you for sharing that sometimes a 10-pound weight loss, getting more sleep, all of that really helps. Libido, though, it seems and I'll just ask the question, that it also has relationship component where intimacy is sought um, at different phases in your life. Most women would like intimacy all the time. That's not always possible. Um, and in when you're young, um, I would venture to say that intimacy, you don't even know what it is uh, to begin with in your early stages. But as you get older, many women are Yes, they want that libido and that desire, um, but they're also seeking intimacy. And with men, they have some different options when their libido drops that women do not have. And it does not look as though there will be one on the horizon that is actually workable. 
I used to be in pharmaceutical development, so I, I keep track of all of these interesting developments. But talk a little bit about the intimacy aspect of libido. Absolutely, Linda. You know, I have a funny story about the whole, because um, it, it, it is very clear cut for men, you know, in terms of, it, it's not to say that men aren't in need of intimacy also, but for men with the whole world of Viagra, it's about the actual sex act. Mm -hmm. And since Viagra has come out, I cannot tell you the number of women who have come to me saying, all I really want you to do is to take his Viagra away, please. <laughs> so I believe it. You know, I think for women, the minute you think the word libido, you think sex, for women, it's a package deal. You know, it's it's the intimacy, it's the hold me, it's the let's talk, it's this whole continuum that is about the relationship. Whereas, generally speaking, when we talk about libido for men, it's about the actual act of sex. So you're, it's almost like you're talking apples and oranges for men and women around this topic. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, for libido, the what I have seen all these years is that generally speaking, the woman is at a point where she really needs self-care and she needs care from her partner. And oftentimes doesn't know how to say that. And Don't so, you think women have difficulty asking things for themselves in general? Oh, absolutely, Linda. Still in the year 2016, you know, we are socialized in a, men and women are socialized very differently. Absolutely. And I don't know that we're going to get very good at that unless we learn how to ask things in a way. We have other shows on communication, and men and women communicate very differently. But as you're talking about this aspect of things, so if a woman comes to you and the part of her libido issue is that she is craving this stage of life for greater intimacy, uh, what advice can you give there? Well, a couple of things. Um, this may sound quite unconventional, but perhaps I've been unconventional in my practice through the years anyway. But um, in a few cases where it was an education process that needed to happen for the partner, okay. I have had the partner come in with the patient so that there could be some learning happening for the partner about the hormonal changes she's going through and why she needs a little more patience, a little more TLC, a little more time for foreplay, let's say. That's another mm -hmm. common thing that starts to happen for women. It's not, okay, good, the kids are in bed, let's go quickly do this. And, you know, that whole process starts to change for women. Mm -hmm. you know, women get to the point where, like, no, I, I need a little more time. I need a little more TLC from you. Let's talk first. And and so sometimes it's an easy fix with just that education process. And of course, you have to have a partner who is open to coming into an OBGYN clinic for that <laughs> appointment. Right. There is that. But then also, you know, sometimes it's um, depending on where the issue is in that sex process, we can talk about that. You know, like I was saying, for some women, it's, you know, I'm just not feeling 
perfect about me, my body. You know, I'm really, um, I've been self-conscious about this weight gain that I couldn't lose after the last baby. Or, you know, sometimes it's just having that conversation and then being able to, I've been, I've role played with patients before where I'm the partner and we kind of do a little bit of role playing, like how, you know, how are you going to talk about this with your partner? I'm certainly not a psychologist, but at least can provide a little bit of support in that arena. That's very, very helpful because some of these issues are physical issues. Some of them are hormonal issues. And uh, some of it is relationship, communication, and education, as you said. So when you come back to the libido question, are those the only aspects that you go into, which are many, I'm not implying that they're not, but is libido connected to anything else? You talked about the self-care, which women are not great at, um, but does it help when they've brought this up and been very brave to ask these questions and you clearly answer them you know, with clarity and good detail and tease out other issues? Are they, do they feel relieved? Are they going away and finding greater success in taking the small steps to make their uh, sexual intimate life better? I think for the most part, that's true. I think that sometimes there are women who walk away saying, you know what, it's I'm just, this is going to go on the back burner on my, in my life for right now because it's, it's not critical for me. It's critical for my partner, but I'm at the point where I don't care, you know, mm-hmm. on that, that I've seen that happen mm-hmm. and that's okay. Cause it's usually suggestive that, Hey, there's some relationship stuff that needs to be processed before she can come full circle on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, and it, the important piece about that is that she needs support from us and friends and family to navigate this time in her life. Brings up so many questions. So let's go back to the hormonal fixes that we were talking about before. Um, or let's, let's just talk about the lab test. So when you get your lab test back, are you looking to optimize hormonal levels? What do you think about hormones? use in general, um, because I know there's been some pro and con that has been bandied about for the last mm, 15, 20 years, and the pluses and the the pros and the cons of making those decisions and what people should consider. Yes, I do need to add um, a caveat to this. I am someone who is currently pursuing a certification in functional medicine um, out outside of my practice with the military. Okay. And so functional medicine for folks who may not have heard of it before is it's sad that it needs a name. Um, but functional medicine is about getting to the root of the issue. And so it tends to be very holistic in nature because in functional medicine, we believe and see all the time where patients can get well. Isn't that an amazing concept? <laughs> yes. So, Now, um, I have to, where I practice, I have to practice complete Western medicine. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to women's hormones, I really believe functional medicine is the way to go. I think that it is smart practice to judge hormones based on a woman's age. Mm -hmm. But that being said, 
if I get a woman to hormones, and I, I'm a big believer in hormones. I think they are just like any other pharmaceutical out there that for the right patient at the right time, the right dose, you know, hormones aren't forever. They don't need to be forever, but they do amazingly well at supporting a woman through perimenopause and those early menopausal years. And actually, help reduce her risk for heart disease. And so for the right patient. Now, if I have a patient who has um, blood pressure issues that are, her blood pressure is not well controlled and she's, you know, or a smoker or she's obese, that is probably not the best patient to be putting on hormones right away. You know, I'm not suggesting we can't ever put her on hormones, but, um, so there's a lot of factors about who is an appropriate hormone patient, and there are patients who really aren't, it's not the smartest move to put them on hormones. Mm-hmm. That being said, I'm a big fan of hormones for the right patient. Well, that makes perfect sense. Talk more about this functional medicine and holistic health, because I think that people are trying alternative and complementary medicine more these days because they realize that if it worked for 3,000 years, it works. Um, And holistic is not a word used in the medical profession much. You go to this specialist for this and that specialist for that, and it's very siloed. So talk a little bit more about that. Yes. You know, I I think when you had asked earlier about, so when you get the labs back, so if you get Mm -hmm. the labs back on a perimenopausal woman, you're looking at, we had talked about thyroid, Mm -hmm. um, her, an iron panel for her, a Mm -hmm. CBC, what's called a complete blood count. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually throwing in some hormone levels in there, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you get those back, one of the things in functional medicine that we do routinely is very detailed thyroid testing that generally isn't done in Western medicine when you're just screening a patient. Mm -hmm. But if you had a perimenopausal woman in functional medicine, absolutely, you would want to do that detailed thyroid testing because you would want to help that thyroid first before you worry about hormones. I mean, you know, female hormones. Mm -hmm. So it's stepwise as well. And so you're taking a look at the simple things to fix first and then go on to making the personal decision to use hormones or not. We are coming against another break. The time is moving very quickly. Uh, We will continue this discussion after the break. And we're visiting with nurse practitioner Lorinda Fontaine Farris, who is very candidly explaining a lot of things that come to many women's minds when they think about the after 40 lifestyle and what that means for your sexual and intimate life, your life as a woman. So we really do appreciate your listening and learning right along with us. We'll be back after these short messages, and we'll be back with Lorinda Fontaine-Farris in just a few moments. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's 
get a kick out of the warning labels companies attach to prevent lawsuits from the hooky crookie of this world. A warning label on a dishwasher cautioned not to put any person in the unit. Speaking of dishwashers, one product warning on a television remote control read, not dishwasher safe. That's too bad because we know how dirty the remote control gets. In fact, we press the buttons even harder when we know the battery is dead. What are we, part of the radiculati? A warning on a baby stroller read, remove child before folding. Here's one for the blunderbusses and poppin' jays among us. A label on a letter opener read, safety goggles recommended. Call me snarky, but any society that needs this many disclaimers has too many lawyers, pedophagers, and snollygosters. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. One of the best ways to prevent injuries while exercising is by warming up first. Most of us are in a hurry, and it can be tempting to skip your warm-up and get right into your workout. But don't do it. Warming up is vital and necessary. Taking 5 to 10 minutes to get your body prepared for a good workout is well worth it. If you're going for a run or a brisk walk, walk slowly first and increase your speed so that your heart rate is rising. Even if you're doing a weight workout only, it's important to warm up for at least 5 minutes on the treadmill or just by walking around. Warming up gets the blood flowing to your muscles, heart, and joints and prepares them for a good workout. Mentally, it gets you focused on what is ahead, whether it is running, biking, lifting weights, or another mode of exercise. So don't skip your warm-up. It's an essential part of every workout. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Wise Health for Women Radio, and we were talking about holistic medicine and how important it is to to take a look at all aspects of a woman's life, uh, in addition to the physical aspects. So, would you tell us more about holistic medicine? Absolutely, um, Linda. The functional medicine that I was speaking of earlier, we were talking about the hormones and perimenopause and libido, and you know, to kind of go back a few steps in functional medicine one of the first things we also would incorporate is a lot of other lifestyle issues like you know if we have a woman who really and truly is eating a lot of junk food you know at at two o'clock in the afternoon she's in the break area getting some sugar a sugar fix and a cup of coffee every day you know I mean those are important pieces of the entire body of stuff that's happening for her. And so in functional medicine, we go to talking about that all the details around her diet. Sometimes we even, you know, we're looking at things like, do I have someone who we might want to do some metal testing on her? Does she have some funky metals in her system that if we do a good um, you know, detox diet for a while, we're going to get rid of some of that stuff and she's going to start feeling better. Or how about some extra vitamin D in her life? She's somebody who has, you know, has never been formally diagnosed, but really experiences some pretty significant seasonal affective disorder. Is that part of her issue? And she needs some extra vitamin D support and maybe a full spectrum light program that she can do at home. I mean, there are just so many pieces that are covered in functional medicine. The average functional functional medicine first patient visit mm-hmm. is an hour and a half long. I mean, wow. when does 
when does that happen in Western medicine? Like never, never. <laughs> unless you're having surgery. <laughs> and even then, <laughs> right? That, that's with that's with five or six physicians. Um, so you are looking at how everything is completely tied. And that's very unusual and sounds very attractive. That's that's amazing. So as we talk about all of these pieces and you're you're looking at the topics that we covered today, um, of course, not in full detail, but in, in pretty darn good detail was what is perimenopause? Um, what are the various factors that affect libido and uh, labs. We brought up other reasons why you might be feeling not so well in other ways. And I think women want to feel well through every phase of their life or as well as possible for as long as possible. And so as you look at um, the, the body of women out there as a whole, what would you encourage them to do when uh, on their annual well woman visit um, to, to try and get to some of these issues and and how to seek out a holistic practitioner, um, all of those sorts of things. Because the more we can take into our own hands and, and feel like we're um, a party to, we're a team, that's a concept that isn't really well done in medicine these days. But when the patient and the practitioner work together to find answers and the root causes, as you say, that can make a world of difference. Absolutely. And I, of course, I come to the table very biased. <laughs> I think that us nurse practitioners um, are trained from the time we're in nursing school to think very holistically, to think about the whole patient. Um, I certainly have wonderful um, physician colleagues and who think similarly, but I think, um, again, for nurse practitioners, our training are just very holistic in nature from day one. And um, if people are looking for actual functional medicine practitioners, if they go on to the Institute for Functional Medicine's website, they can find a local practitioner. I know there are a lot of insurance companies that are still struggling to pay for that kind of care, but it depends on where the patient is at you know, in terms of um, their health status, their frustration level. Um, so it just, it depends on the person. But I think that one of the things I always encourage my patients to do, no matter where they're going, it, before you go for that appointment, write down some questions. And particularly, you put your three most critical things that you don't want to forget at the top of that list. Because it's so easy to get into that visit and, and forget about, oh, yeah, what were my needs? I don't even remember what they were. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would highly recommend people write these things down before, no matter who you're going to see or what you're going to see them for, so that you can start to affirm, hey, be, these are my needs, doctor so-and-so or nurse practitioner so-and-so. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I think that's an excellent thing to be able to do. We have a little bit of time. And I'm wondering, you mentioned about the, the use of hormones, and can you talk a little bit about how regulating the hormones in, in a way that the labs have indicated and that you've made the informed decision, uh, and so has the patient, to go on uh, hormones, what are some of the things they may feel after taking them? <laughs> you know, I always tell women, imagine telling a man 
that he's going to reach an age where he has absolutely zero, you know, no more testosterone. It's gone. Chances are he's going to start to feel differently. And that's what happens for women when we go through this menopausal time frame is, you know, we we lose those female hormones that we've had. Now, we our ovaries um, do continue to produce a little bit of testosterone. And our, interestingly enough, our fat cells produce a what's called a weak estrogen. So generally speaking, the, the more weight that we're carrying, we are usually producing a little bit of estrogen. But for the most part, our ovaries are, you know, they're, they're, they reach a, a flat line, if you will. Mm-hmm. So if we put a woman on hormones, and I'm a big fan of bioidentical hormones, um, that is, you know, most Western medicine practitioners are not necessarily in love with bioidenticals, but because I'm functional medicine based in my thought process, I love bioidentical hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, within three days, those hormones are starting to be at a therapeutic level and a woman is start to going to feel a difference. You're going to normally want to give a couple of weeks to really flush out how how good am I feeling? You know, am I feeling what I expect to feel? That's another important piece. You know, if, if a woman's hormone levels were showing that, oh, she's her hormone levels are appropriate for her age now. She's been on this bioidentical hormone, let's say, for three months. Everything looks normal, looks good. But she's still just not feeling feeling the love about life, you know, we want to go back and retest those hormones, probably retest that thyroid just to see, you know, our, and check the complete blood count again. Has some other things changed as we've changed her female hormone status? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it may mean tweaking up the dose a little bit on those hormones. So um, those are all important pieces is how are you feeling? Are you getting enough sleep now that you're not having hot flashes at night? You know, so all of those things need to kind of reevaluate at a good three months after you've started those hormones. And everyone's different in terms of when they do the follow-up appointment and depends on the practice you're in. But um, that initial follow-up appointment is really important to see hey, what's happening for you now that we've got you on these hormones? But like I said, a minimum of three days, she should start feeling better. See, and I think a lot of women accept that this is simply part of aging. And so this is how I guess I'm supposed to feel. And what I'm hoping that we do by bringing these questions and answers and your wonderful wisdom to our audience is that they realize there are options. Um, there, there are dietary options, there are hormonal options, there are physical options that they can take to feel better about themselves. And that in turn raises the mood and the energy because another symptom of uh, menopause that we talked about was not only the brain fog, but the anxiety and agitation. And too much of that can lead to depression. And Absolutely. so... All of these things are very important um, to to feeling better, but the fact that hormones can make you feel better or start to feel better in three days, that's pretty amazing. If you figure you've lived 50 plus years and wow, you feel terrific. So 
I, I would love it if you would think about the few topics we've touched because I don't want to go into more topics at this point. We will do several follow-on shows to get all these questions in and answers because your information is really valuable and I know will resonate with many people. But what other thoughts would you have as you ponder the questions we have talked about today and advice that you would give women um, including the the self-compassion about the fact that maybe they didn't know this. You know, I'm a big fan of self-affirmations. Mm-hmm. And if, um, you know, I tell women, one of the easiest things you can do literally is go home on a little piece of paper and write, I love you, put it in your bathroom mirror. And so when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and at night, you're telling yourself, I love you. And you're looking at you, at your eyes in the mirror. That may sound really crazy for some folks, but oftentimes women are so far from that loving self that they need this gentle reminder just to, and that usually then, oh yeah, so I am loving myself. So I need to get in and get that mammogram that I've been (laughs) ignoring for six months, you know? You know, mate, you make a very excellent point. If if there's just one thing that you can change so that you believe yourself when you read that note, even a little bit, that will make a difference in how you perceive getting your own needs answered or your own wishes answered better. Because I think women are, are very slow to it to they just accept. They accept a lot in their lives instead of truly living their lives fully because they either don't know about it or they don't feel like they're worthy or that there's time or money or any of those things. I, I can't thank you enough. Is there a website people can go to to find out more about you? I am listed on the Institute for Functional Web functional medicine website and as I said I am birthing my consulting practice and so I'm sorry I don't have a website um yet I, yet yet and <laughs> I can certainly um share an email address or something I'm not sure how uh how you choose to do that on the show why don't but- we wait until you have an address and we'll just simply add it to our article that will be posted with your show Because an email address right now when you're trying to birth a new center is probably not a good idea. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Linda. You're right. Self-care, right? No email address. (laughs) There we go. And come back next week for another show. This is Wise Health for Women Radio. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.